seen anything like that. I'm a very confident front runner for Caddy for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. Um, how are we going to count all the shots? I, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course, would. That's, a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are, show up. Of course, we want to play at the weekend. Hello there, Golf Weekly fans. We are back. It's 2019. We are super excited, Nathan Murphy. Hello. How are you? Very well. And Fionn Davenport is in Manchester. Hello, Fionn. Hey, lads. Also super excited, I hope. Uh, yeah. Oof. Oof. Kind of. Oh. Oh, starting oh. the year in oh. cynical Fionn fashion. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, it's good to yeah. talk to you. You're very welcome. Sorry, we're a bit late, as usual. You can now just take it that when we tell you two o'clock, we mean ish. Well, do you know what? It's a good thing that I had other things... Yeah. No, no, no. I understand. I understand that. My fault. I apologize. No, no, no. There's a single studio and you're recording. Apparently, there are other sports besides golf. Apparently. So, yeah. Nathan Murphy, I have some breaking news for you. Okay. I'm not sure if it's good news. Okay. Or really, really bad news. For me or for all of us? Mainly for you. Oh, my God. This is genuinely (laughs) breaking news. I've been getting a series of headaches in the office, Nathan. I'm trying to eliminate various issues. So I kindly, well, no, sorry, I didn't kindly do anything. I said to Enda, Enda, do you mind if we switch seats for just a while? I just want to see if it's my seat for some reason. And Enda very kindly said, no problem. This means, Fionn, I'm now sitting right beside one Nathan Murphy. Right. (laughs) Bullshit. (laughs) If you had asked me, I would have happily swapped seats with you. So I don't have to sit beside JP anymore. Oh, I don't like you that much. <laughs> is, is this... Um, wow. Are you, so it's the dream team. Is, it's myself, yourself and JP on the back row. The back row, yeah. Back wow. of the bus. So is this, back of the bus. It, no more bitching pre- about Malloy and G-Chat. He's sitting right beside us. <laughs> Sorry, is this Fionn? presenter rank? Are you pulling presenter rank? No, I, was, I, was, I said to Enda, I was like, look, I'm just thinking of this. You have absolute refusal. So he said, I, he said, I don't care. I said, well, I tell you what, take 24, 48 hours and I'll come back to you later in the week. I said, you absolutely reserve the right to say you'd prefer to stay where you are. I'm not even that pushed. It's just a half a thought. And he was like, no, I actually don't care at all. So I said, well, if you don't care that much, I wouldn't mind just trying because I'm just under, getting headaches nonstop. Fionn, okay, you, know do you, you know Joe's semi-cranky in the office presenter tone when he's looking for something. He wasn't just throwing it out there. No, it was an undercurrent <laughs> of... different. This is a very different situation. What do, what do you think I, is going to change from moving... Do you think that, that all the conversations question. are happening behind your back? Because we... So I sit yes, honestly, at one wall what, and everybody else, all the senior management people see, sit right down the other end. I had a thought that the entire home of the offices is just behind me the whole time okay uh, look I don't actually I just I, I seriously need to figure out why I keep getting headaches so I just thought is you it, know what, I'm going to just try you think maybe you might have a serious illness uh, no I hope get not get that checked out <laughs> do you think it's maybe that you got married <laughs> no I don't think so uh, this, has been, this is an ongoing thing actually and so do I noticed you... in, in uh, two or three weeks off over Christmas absolutely fine and I came back here maybe on Monday. Maybe it's just work. Well, maybe. I mean, we'll, we'll find out. But I came back here on Monday, and straight away I was like, right, jeez, where are the paracetamol again? Uh, so I just need to uh, figure this out. Joe, so I'm performance th- enhancing. Wow. So interesting, what you've chosen is what is known as the Frank Sinatra seat. You know that? Go on. Because, well, Sinatra was, of the many idiosyncrasies of Old Blue Eyes, one of them was that no matter what restaurant or venue he would go to, he insisted on sitting in a corner facing the rest of the room. Mm. 
So he never wanted anybody behind him. So he had to see everything in front of him. Mm-hmm. And so hitherto, um, the uh, that corner seat looking out is known as the Frank Sinatra seat. Okay, well, I think. Look, I am um, I am an idiosyncratic person. I'm afraid I'm affected That's one by word. these things. Um, <laughs> I, I do agree. I would. Mu- I much prefer looking out at everybody. Oh yeah, I just find it very annoying. Um, Always, there's a temptation to look around and go, "Who's that?" Yeah. Because somebody walks in, and everyone goes, "Hey, how's it going?" And you're like. That? There's, a, there's a constant sense of that. Now, let's not broadcast this to Ender because he's switching seats as we speak, but he was more than happy to. Uh, we were watching, me and Keith, were watching, have you seen the new, uh, it's not new anymore, but the, I guess it is, tragically, Daniel Day-Lewis's last film, Phantom Tre- Thread, have you seen that? No. Seen no. It? Okay, well, he, it about? it's about a, a, a fiction, it's totally fictional, it's not based on a true story, but it's about a fashion designer in London, a dress designer in the 1950s, Daniel DeLewis plays this designer. It's fantastically mm. interesting. I think in the hands of any other actor, it would be a dreadful film, but actually he just elevates it in the way he can. Uh, but anyway, he's very idiosyncratic. He will give out to people if they eat too loudly. You know, it will bother him. Uh, and Kiwi turned at one point to me and said, does this seem familiar? <laughs> is, Fiona, Fiona, is it possible that idiosyncratic is just another word for asshole? Well, uh, there are certainly arseholic tendencies in idiosyncrasy, but like... Um, I feel, here, I feel uh, the 2019 pod has got off to a terrible start. We've gone <laughs> no, no, Why don't you break this bad news to me one. right here, right now? Are you tell feeling me, okay about this? We're talking for one to two days of the week. I can't, believe, I can't believe you didn't put myself and my Golf Weekly colleagues sitting together at your wedding. We had to converse across the room. Oh, you and Fionn? We did. Yeah. Well, I had yeah. Fionn with some other, a different core of, of, of golfing groups, and there were some smart people at that table that I felt Fionn, of all people, would be able to converse with, and my hunch was actually proven. Oh. Spectacularly. Spectacularly. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to name names, but uh, no. let's just say Fionn was in with a heavyweight, and he did a sterling job, as I knew he would. Well and done, Nathan Fionn. Murphy, let's just say Nathan peaked early in the evening. I, in fairness to Nathan, I just got I tired. Spoke to him. I have a three-month-old ah, child. Okay. I got tired. No, no, you did not emotional. You did well. Just tired. Belubas. Hey, can I ask? I was you was not. Just, you, <laughs> he staggered. You were out a bit drunk. Come on, you were a bit <laughs> drunk. You weren't as gone as Kilban, but like you know. Can I just give a nod to Kevin Kilban, who made a heroic effort? These are the things people. Oh do my for god, your, that was amazing. Yeah. For your wedding, that really blow you away. So he was at Molyneux the night before. I mean, I was, I was sitting in my house with my with a few friends and family watching the game at Molyneux, thinking Kevin Kilban is at this game. So he, he was at that game Friday night, gets like a 6, 7 a.m. red-eye flight into Dublin on the Saturday morning, makes his way to Mead for the wedding, stays there till I think it was close to one, uh, half one, and then had to be in Dublin Airport for more work. He was on match of the day two the next day, and he must have had to be in Dublin Airport for half five, six. Six, six. Yeah. And like he was, you know, he's having a great time and throwing himself into the wedding. I was saying to him in advance, don't bother. Don't, don't, like, I wouldn't do that for you, Kev. I said, don't bother, Kev. <laughs> yeah. Come here. Can I, you mentioned films? Can I ask you? So myself and Laura, we went away for a couple of nights. I'm looking at your back. Instagram. It looks good. Oh yeah, it looks oh, great. Where is that? If I, the Inn at Whitewell, it's just outside Clitheroe in Northern Lancashire. Okay. Unbelievable. Really gorgeous. Anyway, so we have been watching the BBC dramatization of Les Misérables with Dominic West, and it's really good. Mm-hmm. So we're enjoying that. So. We had one of these kind of lit the fire in the room and then there's a big DVD library downstairs. So Laura picked thinking that, yeah, why don't we watch it? Because we're kind of in that vein. So we picked the Les Mis, you know, the one with uh, Hugh Jackman and mm. uh, Russell Crowe. Anne Hathaway. I, 
I kid you not, I hated it so much mm. from literally the first 90 seconds. And in part, it's the sung spoken word thing. I don't mind when they do the songs of Les Miserables because that's it's a musical. But it's the speaking, the spoken parts done. And I'm going to stand over here. No, you can't because you shouldn't. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, am I missing something? Because I literally... It w- I'd rather have gotten dental surgery with no anesthetic <laughs> than continue watching this. So I grumpily turned around to her and was like, here, turn this shit off. Oh, <laughs> turn yeah, this no, shit really. off. Yeah, it was pretty. Turn this shit off. <laughs> I want to stop watching this film. Oh, dear. Allegedly, this is a golf podcast, so will wow. we kick things yeah. off? Uh, this is a golf podcast. the highlight there. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. This is a podcast which will not just include our ramblings, but will also include Padre Carrington. New Ryder Cup captain for 2020 at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. We spoke to him last night. We'll include that on the podcast. And uh, thoughts from Paul McGinley as well at the very end. He was an off the ball on uh, Monday evening or Tuesday evening when all this was announced. So uh, they are all on the way. Some tweets then before we talk uh, Ryder Cup captaincy and Hawaii. Ian Kane, Happy New Year, Lance. I hope to bleep there's a pod this week. There sure is, Ian. Johnny McCann. So Rory once again in a final pairing on a Sunday and Rory... Chokes. Oh, Johnny. Word he used. Johnny. Johnny. Chokes. Wow. Mm. Didn't say it to his face, would he? I don't think so. He'll have an opportunity at some stage. We shall mm. see. Uh, at, uh, again, he says. Chokes again. Wow. He, he writes chokes, Harsh. full stop, and then again, full stop. Alan McGrain. This was on December 29th. A beautiful picture of a sunny beach on December 29th. Well, lads, listening to the current pod here at uh, 27 degree Lanzarote. Xmas abroad is the future, reckons Alan. Happy New Year to you all. I've never done an Xmas abroad, and certainly not an Xmas in the sunshine. I did Christmas in Perth once. Not very exciting. Right. They just, it's just warm. I want the coldness, the bitterness, an excuse to go inside and watch movies and do nothing. It does strike me it as very It feels like you should a, be out doing a run on Christmas morning. Well, it's an indoor holiday. Mm. Everything about it, the gluttony. The overindulgence. Mm. It's an indoor holiday. The movies. Everything about it, I would have thought. Fionn, you must have done a few abroad. I've done a few, but never in a warm weather climate. I've done a good bunch in New York. And in fairness nice. to the Americans, because yeah. we've adopted so much of their Christmas traditions anyway, uh, Americans know how to do Christmas in that conventional way yeah. rather well, I think. Yeah, I would think you know, so. Except for a ham. Why can't you? I want a baked ham. I need a ham. They've got pigs. That's... Why don't they have ham? No, it's it's. Listen, I I I did Christmas in 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 the UK a couple of years ago. Um, they it's not a normal part of the Christmas meal. Is it's that like, right? No oh. turkey oh, and ham. Uh, oh, turkey and a ham. I oh. want. In fact, if I I don't know, like, hey, I prefer ham to turkey anyway. Who doesn't? Generally, Same. So. Yeah, I'll load it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ham. I don't know. About, turkey I'll put up with because it's covered in gravy. But yes. the ham I would eat or, all day and eat for a good or, week afterwards. Yeah. No, or cranberry sauce. I can live without that, I must say, but um, I mean, the stuffing is integral, the ham is integral, the roast potatoes are integral, and the turkey is traditional. Exactly. That's how I see it. Yeah, the turkey, or not even, like, I I remember my dad telling me that when he was a kid, uh, and in Dublin as much as he spent half his life between Dublin, Tip, and Galway, and and he said they would eat, like, a goose often for Christmas. Like, turkey didn't come into Ireland until, now, I'm sure an older listener might correct me, but, like, or Nathan, you're from... The country. You oh, wow, Ben. There you go. Um, the, uh, Do people have duck? The 50s or 60s, yeah. Like, I think they would have yeah. had goose, wouldn't they, at Christmas? Rather than... Duck, no, goose, I think, is a similar texture to turkey, okay. whereas duck is very, very different. Excellent, anyway, excellent, yeah. excellent. 
going to be a hell of an edit with this podcast. No, uh, it's not. Fergo Favier. Ooh. Exotic. Uh, made the point. Money. This was on the 15th of December, but I just didn't get to it. You made the point. Seven Scottish players made the cut at the Alfred Dunhill in South Africa on the European Tour. Not one Irishman. Do we have a serious problem? Uh, Jared Miller. All I want for Christmas, for the purposes of this tweet, is a joint podcast from at Golf Weekly OTB and at No Laying Up. He's been on this case a lot, Jared. Get over get it. it, Jared. June, July recording is ideal, but not paramount. Do you know what? I don't think that's the craziest idea. I well, want to put it out there. We're, we're I not, think it'd we're be not asking first. Oh, they're, we're playing that game. Are they're we? asking us out, Fionn. Mm. Okay, fair enough. And uh, James Sheehan, a uh, friend of the pod, good friend of the pod. Chicago gym in these parts, Nathan. Uh, the Catholics <laughs> once again prevailed once more. They came back from oh, the dead yeah. at oh, Bear yeah. Legs Country Club. Uh, hashtag mir- Miracle by the Lakes. Hashtag Dynasty. Uh, they beat the Protestants, which is always a great day for us. Wolf <laughs> harsh, Joe. So, they are your tweets. Uh, we've got much to talk about back in a second. <laughs> So we'll get on to Podrick Harrington and his captaincy. There's been a lot of talk about that. I just want to, if you don't mind, uh, focus in on the Tournament of Champions just gone because it was a very interesting tournament. I thought it was great. Really enjoyed it. The sun lamp that was Hawaii in my life in the dark gloom of winter was very much needed and enjoyed. Rory McIlroy, for the seventh time in the last 12 months, went out in the final pairing. And once again, he flattered to deceive. He was the only player in the top 20 not to break 72. He was playing with a new driver, a new ball, and a new putter. Brian Keogh pointed out in the Irish Independent that the longest putt he made in his final round across the 33 putts was four and a half feet on the 11th, which about summed up his day on the Sunday. Uh, He shot a 72. The worst rounds of the day were 73. And as we know, Xander Shoffley shot a 62. (laughs) A 62. There was no wind. So there was a good score out there, and uh, Xander reached up and grabbed it. A 62 to pip everyone and win. So... Tournament of Champions. Just in broad strokes before we get into Rory, Nathan, I know you watched a good bit of it. Oh, this was really good. I really like the course. Elevation changes are bloody interesting. I love the course and I love this tournament because it's the same course every year. So you know the ninth, you know the undulations, you know the elevations, you know what's a good shot from the second it leaves the tee with Shot Tracker. Mm. And the more of that, the better. The more familiarity. You can sit down and always remember Camillo Villegas. Was it on the ninth? left himself short, down the hill, and it took him about four times to get up. So you remember when people end up in that position, how difficult, you know exactly, sort of like Augusta, yeah. you know exactly what sort of shot you need. The course is like an old friend. Exactly, yeah. at the right time of the year. Yeah. I, I watched all of, pretty much all of Saturday's round because it finished at a nice time. I think it was finished at about midnight, whereas obviously Sunday went on till 3 a.m., mm. which is not ideal. Yeah, it was, it was a very good start because Rory put himself in contention and then you have this sensational final round from Shoffley. Shoffley, by the way, can do everything, can't he? Oh. He's a bomber. He's brilliant with his irons. He can put when he needs to, as we saw. Good short game. Well, he doesn't much personality, it seems. We don't know him very well. But, but is he not your now stereotypical modern American golfer? They, it feels as though they can all do everything. Yeah. And again, we said this, in, I think, in our last pod. All... Watching the highlights the next day afterwards, there's like 12 stats rolled out about players under 30 who've done this. It's, it's irrelevant. Everybody under 30 is doing something. Yes. There's nobody over 30 doing anything anymore, it seems. Yeah. All these guys are just getting this sensational record. And Alexander Schauffele is up to sixth, is it now, in the world rankings, which is pretty remarkable. Five of the top six are young Americans. 
And he's sort of just gone under the radar. Nobody Great. talks about him at all. He's now won four times in 18 months. He's won a World Golf Championship. He was runner-up at the Open. Finished sixth at the US Open. He's 25. The only memorable thing about him, unfortunately, is his name. Is his name. Mm. He just doesn't seem to grab you for whatever reason. I've watched him play a ton of times. I'm not sure I'd recognise him walking down Grafton Street. No. I have to be dressed in golf gear. I do like the fact that he sort of plays a world tour. He plays the European tour. He played the DP World Championship at the end of last year. He puts himself around there. The World Golf Championship he won was the one over in China. So he's there. He's, he's, playing, golf. he's playing golf everywhere and anywhere. So people are getting to see him. But yeah, he... he he seems like he's a bit of a personality vacuum. Maybe that's very, very harsh. Probably and is. as we get to know him a bit more over the next few years. But again, just another unbelievably good, young, talented golfer. Yeah, look, it was an incredible performance. McElroy would have needed a 64 to win. So mm. he would have had to play very well. There's the good and the bad of McElroy. I think at this point now, I'm parking the hope that Rory is going to re-emerge in a January after an off-season and be a brilliant putter. I think... We can all, you know, he can talk about the work he's going to do in the off-season, but actually he was right back to where he was on the greens. However, Fionn, you would have to say with his new driver and new ball, uh, and even the television commentary were making the point, Frank Nobolo and others, they were saying his driving was as good and as varied in terms of his shot selection off the tee mm. as they've ever seen it. He was hitting all sorts. Yeah, and in fairness, uh, Rory's comments afterwards, I thought were fairly close to the mark, you know, and I think they... Like, he's very happy. He took a lot of good things away, as you said. Like, he's very, very happy and hit the ball very, very well with that new driver. Um, his shot selection was very good. I think on the last day, you know, we can talk about that in a second. But, yeah, I think I think this idea that Rory's going to emerge in 2019, all of a sudden having cured the pudding woes that have bedeviled him for the last four years, I think it's just madness. Like, I, I just don't see how that's ever going to happen. However, you know... <laughs> He is one of the top players in the world. He, his ranking might reflect that right this second. Like, he's definitely a top five player. But, like... Um, is he? And then... Well... Because he's okay, ranked okay. eighth in the world. He's one win in the last two and a half years. I'm not talking about talent. I'm just talking about where he is right now. Which of yeah, those no, no, players I, in front of him would you say he's currently a better player no, than? he's not. He's not. I, I, sorry. I'll restate my case. Like, clearly, this is a guy who won four majors almost easily uh and you know and whatever we know he we know he's got this immense talent um however i will say this okay so one of the things this this kind of oh he can't win out of the final pairing narrative that's now attached to rory based on seven final pairings not one win i think is a tad overplayed and you gotta okay four of the events so four of seven he trails top 25 players in the world by three or more strokes like you're not meant to win that way that's That, statistically, that's not going to happen. In another one, he's trailing the number one player in the world, Justin Rose, by one stroke. And in two, you know, he and in two others, he shot a combined five under. Like, it's not as if, like, he had a horrendous round. It's just the other guy just did better, you know? And They're great, so, they're great points, Fionn. Not, not many people are making them. And, and I think that that's something to bear in mind. So, like, invariably... We, we have a natural tendency to look at patterns and kind of then determine a truth based on a pattern. But like when you break it down, that pattern isn't necessarily reflective of an actual truth. And so, you know, does he have putting problems? Oh, undoubtedly. And we're bored, senseless talking about them, but like he isn't a particularly good putter. Yeah. Like he's got this new putter. He sank some decent ones, but on the last day when there's a little bit of pressure, we has to really, we're all of a sudden, it's not like you'll take what you get. He has to go out and shoot a decent number. 
you know, he's the only guy in the top 10 that doesn't shoot the lights out. And that's, that's troubling. But mm. that's to do with his putter. He seemed and as well after a lot of putts, Nathan, to do the old um, gesture with the hand as if to suggest the ball had broken in a way he wasn't foreseen. Yeah, which is horseshit, though, isn't it? Like, I mean, do I you, wonder, does anybody believe that? I well, don't know. He, felt, really? he, he said in his pre-tournament press conference, he was on about his putting, and he felt that statistically, if you looked at it, I think it was inside eight feet, that there was no great issue with his putting. It was from sort of eight to 15 feet that he wasn't getting his speed right, that actually he felt he was reading greens quite well, but his okay. speed was off, his pace was off, and that from 15 feet, he was leaving himself four feet rather than putting it right up to the hole. So there was something wrong there. So that was something he was trying to... Improve on, and they went straight from showing that clip to him having a 10-footer that he left four foot short. Sure. Weren't there so many occasions in that final round? So I, I stayed up. I was, I was obviously back in work the next day, so with tears starting to roll down my face. Uh, I, st- I stayed up, and I, I had to go to bed around the 11th. But at that stage, I had lost count of the number of times Frank Nabilo or somebody else had said, this is where Rory really needs to send Woodland a message now. This is, you know, the, and they were, all from, <laughs> they were all from somewhere between 12 and 20 feet. And he, and they made the point, you know, he hasn't held one of these all week. And there was never one that I would say even threatened the hole. Threatened it. I agree no, with true. a lot of what Fionn had to say in terms of it's becoming the talking point, the narrative after every tournament. Yeah. Rory's in a final group and every tournament is different and you can play your best and somebody else just plays yeah. slightly better yeah. and you can leave yourself in positions. He just didn't play well on Sunday. The bigger no. question is... Actually, is there an underlying reason? Because he said afterwards, my attitude was much better today. I didn't press at all. I was very patient. It's just something I'm going to have to persist in. Just keep putting myself in these positions. And honestly, I don't think anyone could have beaten Xander today. It wasn't a day for being patient. And Yeah, there was no wind. There, there was no wind. And yeah. Rory, again, you know, talent-wise, he d- I just feel he never needs to be patient. Mm. It felt as though watching him on Thursday, and as you say, like he had all the shots off the tee. It almost felt like he was showing off. Yeah. It almost felt like he's going to win this tournament by five shots, and he's setting out a marker to everybody for the season of, I'm back. Mm. And the next 80 months are going to be my time again. And then on Sunday, it just... Again, patient. It wasn't time for patient golf. It was a time for going after pins. Yeah, Thursday morning on a tricky course mm. is your time for patience. I... I- I think that's a very good point. Can I can I just add something else though? There is, you know, like cognitive dissonance here because I'm holding two opposing ideas in 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 the same head. And so anyway, so I've got some statistics for you. So whilst my earlier point I absolutely believe in, but when you look at his round 4 scoring average over the last 4 years, it is it is quite alarming if you were Rory McIlroy. So in 2014 he was 17th, which is decent enough. There was no figures for 2015 because he was injured. He was third in 2016, ninth in 2017, and 54th in 2018, his round four scoring average. Okay. Now, what's interesting as well, so, so the stark nature of that statistic is compounded because he was also, um, he had the, he was ranked number one last year in round three scoring average. So all of a sudden, he was throwing in the best numbers in round three and then just couldn't follow it up the following day. So, like, as the stat here says, and it makes a very good point, if you shoot a 65 and then a 73, it just looks a hell of a lot worse than doing 68-70, even though you're shooting the exact same score. And so what is it? So the question mark is this, to echo what Nathan said, what is it about the round four that somehow 
like, is he is he getting his tactics wrong? Is there something wrong with the way he's approaching the round four? I mean, I think there's a strong argument to be made with his talent. What the hell is patience? Mm. Although he says, I wasn't patient in any of the other six times, so I'm going to be patient this time, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah, look, it's, there's a lot there. it's pretty stark, those stats. And I was having a look then before we came in at the European Tour and Rory last year and his final round, trying to figure out actually when you go through the tournaments. I didn't go through the PGA Tour, but the European Tour last year, his, so his last 14 rounds, final rounds on the European Tour, he shot under 70 once. In his yeah. last 14 final rounds. That was a 69 in Dubai last year when he was beaten in the final pairing by Hao Tung Lee. If you look at his previous 11 final rounds, he shot under 70 in 10 of them. Wow. And in that, he had a 62, a 64, a 65, a 66, a 67. So it feels there has, as you say, Fionn, exactly. you can, we can feel one thing and the stats will sort of tell us actually there has been something going on in the final round. Whether it's a mental, it's clearly some sort of a mental issue, whether it's a mental thing and he's putting too much pressure on himself or he's not putting enough pressure on himself, that he's been too passive yeah. in the final round. It's interesting. That he, he needs to be Billy Big Balls going out there. Well, he does. <laughs> You're Rory effing McElroy, as yeah. JP said to him. It's interesting yeah. because he had a reputation then for maybe the period before this current situation where he was reversing into top four, top five mm. positions because he was having brilliant Sundays. So it is very strange. So but he's, he's, he's going to play Riviera next month and he's probably going to add another tournament in the meantime. And if you look at the top 10 at the moment, so Justin Rose, uh, courtesy of not playing, has gone back to world number one. So it's Rose, tell me who you'd have McElroy above here. Justin Rose, over the, and I'm talking not of all time, but over the next 18 months, right, next year. Justin Rose, then Brooks Koepka is world number two. Dustin Johnson is world number three. Justin Thomas is world number four. Bryson DeChambeau is number five. I feel like McElroy oh, could have a better. Absolutely. Uh, Xander Schauffele is number six. He was 10 last week. I feel like he could have a better time than Xander. Uh, John Ram is number seven in the world. McElroy is number eight. Francesco Molinari, number nine. And Tony Finau is 10. Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, Tommy Fleetwood. Tiger Woods is 14 at the moment. And then to round off the top 15, it's Patrick Reed. It's very simple. Rory McElroy of 2014 is better than every single one of those players. Yeah. Without question. Rory McElroy of the last 18 months isn't yeah okay better than many of them mm. it must be a difficult time for him he must be very worried i know he said he took a lot is of good things it's, well, it's, but he doesn't well, seem that worried what, what, I, what i mean by that is so the next what are we we're still three months away from the masters or probably three months pretty much to the day i'd say away from the masters this time last year he went started in the middle east and finished second and third and had that round against how tung lee where everyone felt he should have won in dubai and didn't but it was felt as though it was a promising start to the season yeah if he ends up on the final day at Augusta playing the second hole, two shots off the lead, staring down an eagle putt, it'll have been a very good first four months ah, of yeah. the season for McElroy. In the exact same position as he was last year. Yeah. It all depends on what happens from there on in. Yeah, it's true. He said as much himself. His, his year now is about four weeks. He said mm. it last week, so that's how he sees things. Um, anyone else catch anybody's eye over the week? I mean, Gary Woodland, fine. Ugh. Poor old Gary Woodland, though. You have to spare. Like, how, so, like, Shoffle, like, you never have a round like that again. He holed out mm. twice for Eagle. Yeah. That's just mental. Yeah. Like, poor old Gary Woodland shoots five under, has a three-shot lead going into the last round, shoots five under, like, 364 and a half days of the year. That's a winning score. Yeah, that's true. Did you see Dustin like, Johnson just, on Friday? Yeah, hitting the wrong ball. <laughs> I mean, Dustin Johnson. Ah, uh, DJ. Dustin Johnson. What was hey. his fault, was it? 
Well, it was. I mean, even if an well, you can identify a, your own ball. If a volunteer ultimately says that's your ball, I think you go and have a little look down and yeah. Check. Dustin Johnson just says, "Okay, swipe." Well, you know, I've done it myself. Wow. Yeah, well, as, Ma yeah. as Martin um, O'Neill can attest. So, can, can it, yeah, I was going. Well, I was going to get onto the Sony Open unless there's anything else from the week that was. Well, I was going to say just uh, well, not even so much. Okay, yeah, it's more like your list of to see the top fifteen in the world seems yeah. outside that. Our boy, our favourite, our beloved Jordan yeah. Spieth. Well, that is seventeenth naturally where I was going next. So the Sony Open ah. in Hawaii sees the return of Jordan Spieth. Spieth, uh, top of the world rankings in August 2015, second at the end of 2017. He is now seventeenth yeah. after a disappointing 2018. He failed to qualify for the Tour Championship. It was his first ever winless season on the PG, PGA Tour since he first came on tour. He didn't because he. Um, assumed in a schedule he would be at the Tour Championship. He didn't even play the requisite 25 events and was subject to a major penalty and fine. Yeah. Uh, Speed says, coming into this Sony Open in Hawaii this week, I haven't played a lot of rounds over the last couple of months. I'm working on some things. It's progressing. Just got to come out with a lot of trust. Keep the mood light. He got married in November, mm. actually. He was saying that the old wedding ring has given him trouble when he tries to put cross-handed. So Stop putting, putting cross-handed. Well, he's not going to be wearing the wedding ring. He, uh, he says Jordan Speed. So uh, Speed is there after really a dreadful year last year. In the betting, Justin Thomas is favourite. Then there's, uh, he's a clear favourite, by the way. He's a kind of six and a half to one, five and a half to one, six and a half to six to one territory. And then you go all the way to 11 to one for Bryson DeChambeau. Gary Woodland is at 12s. Jordan Speed still at 14s. And then you're into Mark Leishman, Cameron Champ, Cameron Smith, yeah. Charles Hell. It's never quite as good a field in the Sony Open, but the course is pretty good as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing around Jordan Spieth is not so much that we all know he had a dreadful year. It's the identifying the root cause of his dreadful year. So he didn't, he didn't hit the ball as well, but he had the yips. That's what he had. See, they're all saying it now. And Caney's come out with it. Uh, Jordan Spieth had the yips. Or the has the yips. yips. Yes, the pudding yips. See, I feel as if the yips aren't uh, as destructive as they once were because everyone said, well, Tiger did have the chipping yips and there was no possible way back. Yet here he is. I trust well, him. If anybody can battle through the yips, it's Jordan Spieth. And on that, last uh, July when we were up in Ballyliffin, we had Dylan Fratelli, who was a former college golfer alongside Jordan Spieth and said that at that stage, did he say he had the yips or he had a... His putting just went to absolute nothing. Yeah. And managed to find a way through it. Hank Haney was quoted as saying, he's got to get his putting figured out. I think he will, but he has to. No shit. I know, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Hank. Um, and with special subject, the bleeding obvious, Hank Haney. Uh, but he goes on to say, and I think that has spilled into the rest of his game. When I watch him put, he visibly has the yips. You watch his hands and short puts, and there is a tremor in there. I don't care if the puck goes in or doesn't. He was center cut on his first putt at the Ryder Cup, but his hands were shaking. He had to miss more short putts than anybody on tour. Ooh, Hank Haney. Wow. Hank great. Haney. Uh, well, like when, well done. That is, proper, <laughs> that is proper analysis. We get so much nonsense. Mm. That's really interesting. That's what I'm saying. So when Hank Haney is saying stuff like that, it's like sit up and listen. And then the stats bear him out because like, so in 2017, he was 39th on strokes gained putting. He dropped to 136th. 
and this is a guy who was ninth in that category in 2015. Yeah. Like this is a year and a half of just steady decline. I just, uh, um, I, got, I got the, um, I just Googled what you were talking about there and there's an ESPN piece. One prominent player who wished not to be named described Speed's stroke as yippy. There so you go. They've all noticed it. There's a ton of YouTube videos as well. Jordan Speed yips, you'll find them. <laughs> even, oh. even, 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 even just him on the practice screen, it doesn't look pretty. So um, maybe that's why he's taking a break. Sometimes it's the yeah. best, best thing mm. you can do, isn't it? Clear the head. Yeah, let the nerves recover. Now, he always, like, even when he was, remember when he was putting amazing? Yeah. Like, a couple of years ago. Like, his putting stroke, he, he comes across, he has this kind of neurotic look about him a bit. You know, he's kind of stepping in, stepping out, adjusting, adjusting, adjusting. But then when he hits it, it just, it's like he's just driven with this immense self-belief rather than, the most immaculate or smooth putting stroke you've ever seen. He's just like, that ball is going in the hole and there's no two ways about it. And like, it's not as if he ever had even his iron play. Like he doesn't have the smoothest of actions. So no, his feet are all over the place. No, exactly. So you wonder, like there's, there's a billion ways of getting the ball in the hole. So maybe that's just who Jordan Spieth is. But when Hank Haney comes out and very deliberately uses the word yips, you know, and Hank isn't known for a guy like he was, he's not Brandel Chambly, you know. Frank isn't going out causing stir, you know. He's yeah. generally he's like friends with the world, isn't he? Old good old Hank. At times, yeah. One of the other um, points to mention from the pre Sony Open media is Adam Scott has basically said with the new schedule, I'm literally not playing in any WGCs this year. So it is a year in flux where players are going to have to map out a new schedule. Yeah, that yeah. last, well, is it the last? No, it's probably not the last WGC, but there is a WGC, I'm fairly sure, the week after the Open. Who is going to play in that? Yeah. I know. They're, they're, I mean, it's a fairly condensed schedule, to say the least, so we'll have to see how it all pans out. Um, I think we should get to Patrick Harrington, because it's huge news. So that yeah. is the uh, Sony Open in Hawaii. It's on this week. Uh, first off, before we get our thoughts on Patrick Harrington, let's bring you the man himself. So he was on Off the Ball uh, last night. We got to uh, speak with Harrington. I think he stepped out from dinner and gave us about 20 minutes, which is just um, above and beyond. So here you are, Patrick Harrington. If you've already heard this interview on Off the Ball, then feel free, free to flick through it. Uh, he was in very good form, as you might imagine. So I'm delighted to welcome the European Ryder Cup captain for 2020, Padraig Harrington, to the show. Padraig, good evening. Good evening, Joe. How are you doing? Very well. You'll have to get used to that. Yeah, and it, it's it's been pretty busy, even though it's only 24 hours now. I'm actually, well, I suppose to start, I shouldn't be surprised, but it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I'm sure you're getting lots of congratulations and lots of well wishes and, and uh, I guess a slightly surreal thing as well that it's finally here and it's real and it's happening and it's all kicking off. A little bit scary, that. Yeah, it kind of says you're getting to the end of your career, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's here. It is, and I, I really mean it, it is here. Uh, it's, that's certainly been brought home over the last couple of days, not just with the well wishes and the texts and things like that, but just with the... Uh, you kind of, it's a different uh, feel to us. You know, I'm, I'm not my own boss anymore. Do you know, it struck me yesterday, I watched the press conference, I didn't see too much other media that you did, but it struck me watching the press conference that you were breaking the habit of a lifetime in that uh, you've generally been, I mean, just so brilliantly interesting from a media point of view, but you've gone in there, you've done your press conferences, you've, you've talked away and then never bothered too much with what, how the media covered it or, 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 or read or listened to what was said about you. And, and suddenly, 
you're in there and it struck me you are now speaking and there are 12 to 20 to I guess if you include the other team to 30 people who will be paying very close attention to what you say and how you say it and how it's all presented and it struck me watching this must be quite different for him I wonder is he second guessing himself I, I have to be a little bit more thoughtful there's no doubt about it uh, you know as you said I am representing the Ryder Cup now so I can't uh, necessarily throw out flipping comments and, and you know you know because obviously something that's funny when you say it, it's not necessarily funny when it goes down in print and mm. uh, you know you, you suppose you have to be careful that you're not too challenging in your statements and things like that so yeah it, it, it because the Ryder Cup is such a big international deal because it's 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 obviously a competitive match one-on-one uh there is an element of of you know people who are writing the stories to media they want a they want a big story they want a, a contentious story in some in some ways so yeah it, it is it is slightly different uh media focus for me uh, you know with the tour they get they uh, i have a, a permanent media guy with me all the time now yeah. you know when it comes to 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 doing this stuff, everything goes through. Uh, you know, before it was just me and my manager, and you know, yeah, and most of the time I just did it myself. But now everything is is goes through the tour. It's checked. You know, okay, this is what we're doing. Mm. And I, I presume you want to keep a lid on things. You don't want it to become contentious. You don't. You don't feel it suits a European team to have a war by the shore type atmosphere, especially in America. Or, or is is ramping things up at times useful? You know. I know the guys who are in the running for captaincy, vice captaincy. I've played with them, and the, most of them are—they all are pretty similar to myself. That they're pretty tough characters on the golf course. Uh, you know, they play hard, but they're all played in the traditions of the game of golf. You know, they're they're fair. They don't want to win anything with an asterisk. These guys are tough competitors, but mm. they they definitely play—you uh, know—play the game the right way. And, and I. Like I can go through all the guys who are potentially going to be there in terms of vice captain and every one of them. Uh, that's I suppose they've lasted this long in golf. You kind of have to be like that mm. in, in golf because mm. if you if you if you set yourself aside, you get alienated pretty quickly in golf. If you're you know if you're not playing by the rules and taking the proper drops on the golf course, if you're if you're abusing the, the edges of the rules, it, you're found out pretty quickly. And these guys are solid guys who I expect a very tough match, but. Uh, I expect they want to win the right way. Mm. Were you were you nervous yesterday? As a matter of interest, when you were stepping out to face the media, you know, I didn't think I was. But when I finished up the media yesterday, I was wiped, and that that's unusual for me now at this stage. Uh, like I, I clearly the pre the couple of hours before and during it, it wasn't that long. It was only three hours of media actually, but build up on that, it 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 took much more out of me than I expected. Uh, it, it, it reminded me, you know, if I did a talk 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it would take me a long time to recover. Now it's run-of-the-mill stuff. Uh, you know, I can mm. do it and I'm fine. Mm. This this really wiped me. And even today, <laughs> your listeners are not going to like me for this, but I basically went for the bed, to the bed yesterday afternoon and I did the same again today. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Uh, are you going to start reading media coverage now? You're, 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 no. you're, you're, you might have to break that habit to keep tabs on how it's all shaping up, no? No, no, uh, no, definitely not. Uh, uh, the, the European Tour uh, media liaison, it was, he had to break a habit of, uh, of a few years. He had to change his, uh, his Google search from Thomas Bjorn to Porter Cairns. 
<laughs> You'll get the notifications at all hours. Um, yeah. I noticed uh, it was it was very striking. You used language yesterday, you know, where you talked about it being daunting and, uh, you know, I hope I can add. And, you know, I guess some of this is outside of your control. And you talked about your golfing legacy being on the line a little bit. Um, and I, look, I guess that's true because I, I must confess, and I'm, I'm not trying to lead you down a path here of, of, of commenting on Nick Faldo's uh, captaincy, so, so don't feel like I'm doing that. But I must confess, when I think of Nick Faldo as an example, uh, and maybe it's my age as much as anything, but I don't. I, I actually think of Valhalla almost as quickly as I think of the six majors. So it is a big thing whether you, as you, as you if you win or lose, it will um, follow you around a little bit. You will be remembered by a generation for it. Uh, it struck me you were you were certainly aware of that. Yeah. Look, this. I'm going to be 49. I'm 47 now. I'm going to be 49 when it when it happens. Uh, and it's there's an element of this. Oh, it's my time. You've done. You've won your three majors. It's it, it's payback for your career in Europe. Walk into the job and do the job because you're the man. Yeah. But do I really want to do it? I'm, I'm not going to do it for the sake of doing it. And I had to sit back and look at that and see. Well, do I want to put this on the line? Do I feel I'm capable of managing a team? just because I've had a good career hitting a little white ball, ball around the golf course. Yeah. They're two different jobs. Yeah. Uh, they really are. And, you know, I said this yesterday, this is not like premiership football. If I do a bad job, I don't get another go. Mm. It is one and done. Mm. Uh, so there is there is an element of pressure. And, and if you fail, even if you're a good captain, if you fail, people will find reason for fault. If you win and you're not a great captain, Overlooked, you you just had a win, so it, it is very black and white. The, yeah. the Ryder Cup, yeah, and uh, you know you got. I I just wanted to make sure I understood what I was going into. Yeah, no, it, it does it, it does strike me as one of the more the more outcome based verdicts on a captaincy. Oh. It, it's it's really tough. Everything you do is wrong. Everything you do is right. Was it a quick process to decide that you did want to do it and you did feel you could do it? Uh, this has been this is years, two years at least. You know, this is. Uh, you know, I possibly for 2018, I could have been in the running uh, with Thomas. And you know, to be honest, this my succession to the twenty really started uh, during Darren Clark's Ryder Cup. Uh, it was an interesting one. Darren, and, uh, myself, and Thomas Storm were vice captains, and Darren wanted us to sort out very quickly that we weren't vying. Captaincy. So myself and Thomas sat down during during Hazeltine and said, "Look, what I basically said, I look, I, I want to pay Thomas, so I'm not going to. There's no need for us to be buying the best vice captain to get the next job. Yeah, the way to let Thomas go the next time. I wanted to be a player for another few more years, and which obviously led it to maybe 2020 is going to be my time. And clearly, then you know, Lee Westwood, pretty much." And me had that conversation in 2018. Right. Is he going to challenge for it in 2020? And he stood aside and said, look, no, I'm not going to challenge. We've cleared the way for, uh, I suppose, a unanimous uh, choice of, of, of me. Right, OK. Um, if in a perfect world with timing behaving itself, if you could control time and, and, and circumstances, would you have chosen to do it at home? Obviously, you have the greater chance of winning. Or did you fancy a crack at doing it on US soil? No, I look, I, I look. That was a big consideration. It, it, it clearly is easier to win a home. The home captain can get more involved, get has more control. Mm. But 
if you were to look at the, I, I, I don't want to be a, what's the word I'm looking for, but if you were to look at the, the greater scheme of things, it suits the European tour for me to take it away. Yeah. In a, you know, to play in the US, I have a good profile in the US and they need that for for everything about the Ryder Cup over there, not not just trying to win the match, but the brand of the Ryder Cup. They need to have a player who, who has a profile. So it really suits that I do it away from home. Uh, I, I, but age, everything suited, and this is what we were talking about earlier, everything fell into place that this is my time, mm. as long as I decided that I really wanted it to be my time. And, and you know, that's what I needed to get my head around. So more than ever, uh, one of the captain's jobs, the home captain's job, is to set up the course to suit his players. And we saw that uh, so clearly in Paris. And I'm sure we'll see that again in 2020. You don't have that responsibility. You pretty much have no say in how the course is going to be set up at Whistling Straits, do you? None at all. Okay. None at all. So the, the, uh, the only say, I guess, is there's a, a captain's agreement, which is uh, you know a handshake agreement about what can and can't be done during the actual week of the tournament. Uh, up to that, you know, if, if within reason, you know, if, if their captain can come and add a bunker, as, as uh, basically what you've seen over the last number of Ryder Cups, maybe started with Paul McGinley. Before Paul McGinley's time, this was done kind of ad hoc. You know, captain would have an opinion, but now what actually happens is they bring in a statistician and he yeah. says, your team does this better than their team, so you need a golf course like this. Yeah. And is Whistling Straits a course that is easy, easily malleable and, and can be can be tricked? Not, tricked up is the wrong word, but you know can be can be shaped to suit an American team. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you know if, if we were going to a Hazel team style golf course, like wow, that would be that's a tough, tough ask. And I, you know, I wonder would any captain ever want to 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 relish that opportunity to go to, a, like, if you go to your traditional old American golf course, they'll set it up wide, no rough, fast greens, mm. birdie fest. Mm. And that's hard to beat those US guys doing that. But Wilson State, I don't believe it lends itself to those options. It's a kind of, it's, a, it's more or less a link style golf course that plays in the wind. It could be poor enough weather at the end of September, start of October in uh, 2020. So yeah, I, I don't see it necessarily being they'll do what they can, but I don't see it's necessarily going to be such an easy job to to make it so biased towards them. And, and, and another thing, and this is changing as we go along, uh, like I think I think it could be much as 11 of the current team are, are, have, have the playing, playing with a full card in the US. So mm. there are more and more Europeans. It's a global game at yeah. this stage. So yeah. it, it, more and more you see Europeans uh, the lines are getting blurred between a European-style golf course and a US-style golf course. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Or at least styles of play. So with the course then out of your control, what do you expect will take up a lot or the majority of your thinking time or your, you know, when you're daydreaming having a cup of coffee? Will it, be, will it be partnerships? Will it be getting the selection process right so you have guys in form that suit the course that you can somehow manipulate the selection process in so much as you can to get the right guys in the team? Is it... Is it vice captains? Might there, frankly, be months where you're not doing very much? I think there will be months that I'm not doing very much. But but as it gets closer to those selections, there's, there's two, two main things I have to do. I obviously have to make sure I select players that improve the team, not necessarily the, the best 
not necessarily the 10 to 11, 12 yeah. best players. I've got to pick guys to add to the players who've qualified on merit. And secondly, then, I, well, part of that is, is I've got to know the personalities of the players so that I can match their golfing personalities so I can match them up on the golf course and their personalities so that I know how to interact with them off the golf course and get the most out of them. Mm. So that's, that's really my job. To be honest, because of being vice captain and because of uh, having played a number of years, I reasonably have an idea of what I need to do, I suppose, for the things I know. But the things I don't know, that's the problem. Yeah. You know, there's, there are unknowns. There's going to be curveballs. And I, I just have to try. And I suppose you can't predict everything, but I've got to try and have a, a, some plan in place when things change and mm. don't go right. And, mm. and so just just to try and cover not being retrospective when I'm there. Yeah. That if I can get ahead of it, and even if things go wrong, that I might have seen what was going to happen, but you know, I, I can figure a way around mm. Well, I guess, I mean, the, the benefit of being vice-captain several times is you've seen so many different scenarios now. You've seen in Hazeltine where a morning didn't go well and how Darren Clark had to try and react. And that was probably a very difficult uh, Ryder Cup yeah, on a few fronts. Well, he's, he, yeah. And then, yeah. But then so, Thomas Bjorn, I suppose, maybe more sticks to the plan. You've seen the, the thought presses behind both those things. You've, I guess but the point is you're, you're an experienced person going into this job now, courtesy of the vice-captaincies. Yeah, well, I'm experienced courtesy of, of the captains who've gone before and done good and bad things. Yeah. So every time a mistake is made, you know, that's, you obviously learn more from your mistakes, but I've seen the good and bad. I saw, saw some really nice good stuff with Thomas and, you know, all the way through, I've seen, you know, clearly you could go all the way back to 99 where the, where the, the rookies weren't played and that's never going to happen again. Yeah. You know, we, 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 that's just, like, literally, the rookie would ha- or, or a player would have to have a, a limb missing for him not to get, get played. Everybody gets an opportunity. And, and I think that, you know, things like that have, have, have changed over the years. When I played in 99, you know, you, 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 like I was in the form of my life in 99 and I wasn't used to play any of the matches before the singles. Mm. Uh, and that, that brings a lot of fear into the team. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot more information given. Everybody knows that, you, uh, from my experience, I know you, You've got to give everybody a runner under pressure and see what they're like. Mm. Doesn't matter how they play on a, on, a, on in practice. Does play the, some guys don't practice well, or the guys practice great. You, mm. You've got, but you've got to see them under the heat of battle and then work from there onwards. There's lots of things we've seen over the years, uh, but generally it's it's trying to be give the information to the players, make them understand uh, that they're going to get their chance on the golf course. That they, you know. Yeah. They don't need to, to stress it. And even if it doesn't go well in one match, they'll get another chance. It's not, it's not as simple as, uh, you know, nobody, uh, you know, uh, there was definitely years ago in South Tennis, there was a theory you're just not going to be played. Mm, no doubt. Um, have you picked your vice captains yet? No. Uh, I have a fair idea who will be my vice captains. Uh, ooh, some of them. Actually, the majority of them would have sneaky hopes of making the team. So <laughs> right. okay. I, I'm not going to pick them early in advance, you know, too much in advance. Yeah. Uh, one will probably come in pretty soon, and then, then the other maybe in the middle of next year when we have a clearer picture who's making the team or not. I think uh, gone are the days, unfortunately, when you, 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 know, you have your friends and, and, and that as vice captains. Nowadays, it, it is very much more 
there's an element of incumbent on me to, to train up the future captains. Mm. So, you know, a, a lot of those vice captains will be uh, potential captains going forward. Okay, no doubt. Um, I, I think you were asked about this yesterday, but people mightn't have heard that. I might be wondering. So Rory McIlroy is stepping away from the European Tour. It looks like this year. Uh, we presume he'll do what needs to be done to get on the Ryder Cup team next year. Have you have you spoken to him about that, or do you feel there's no need to? Uh, yeah, by, by text. Uh, and, and I've talked to him through, through the winter, too, and, and different things. Look, you know, you, you, Rory said one or two things, but his options are completely the opposite. He loves the Ryder Cup. Uh, he loves the European Tour. He will be... He, the Ryder Cup gives back to all the players, but even Rory, it gives back something that no other event gives back. They get to go out there, get an opportunity to be heroes, to be loved. You know, the, the, the buzz they get. Rory gets a chance to be a leader. Mm. You know, the players, he, he's only 30 years of age, but he really has done a good job in the team room of, of being a leader and, and players look up to him and you know you can't get that anywhere else and, yeah. he, and you know his accent in the team he really embraces it mm. and on the golf course it's the same thing I, 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 this is the sort of stuff you, you and your vice captain you're watching you're seeing his interaction on the golf course and he just he, he can't get that buzz anywhere else he's playing as an individual it's great you're out there but when you're playing as a team and the crowd are up for it and you, you, you're getting the cheers when you hold puts and the you know, even the even the match he lost uh, in his team with Patrick Reed, mm. uh, like it's amazing. He's not going to get an experience like that anywhere. No, it's true. And I, I presume you don't see it as your job. I, look, I, I presume the sponsors, and you've got you know Keith Pelly is going to be a part of your life now, and all these different people. You don't see it as your role to get involved in with Rory this season and say, would you not play the extra two or three events and maybe throw in the Irish Open there as well? That's that's beyond your brief, I suspect. Hey. No. Okay. Right. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, you know, I, you know, I think I, I, with, with all the players, you know, we want to see Rory play. But Rory likes playing in Europe. You know, you've you, you got to look at the actions. He enjoys his events in Europe. He's 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 great crack when he when he's playing in Europe. You'll you'll see he enjoys his events and he's out there. And, you know, I think. At this very moment, you know, he, he, he's moved to the States. Uh, you know, he's looking at that Masters. He's trying to, to, to get a different preparation for the Masters. But his, his head will, will clear very much after that. And mm. he, look, well, he likes playing golf too, and he likes competing. He, I, I just say, let's, let's look at his actions. And I think his actions will, 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 will be all happy with that. Okay, right, okay. We'll, we'll try and read between the lines there a little bit. Um, Listen, we've taken up enough of your time. I guess, what, what an exciting 18... It's hard to do the maths. What are we? Are we 18 months out? Is it 20 months? Something like that? Yeah, I, I've yeah, been heard. Yeah, I must do the maths myself. I think Yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, just 19, 19 months. Okay, so I suspect it'll be um, an exciting 19 months and lots of you daydreaming, looking at a window, and there'll be pieces of paper all over your house with things like Molinari and Fleetwood written down together and things like this. Um, uh, so the very best to look with it. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the coverage here, or well, you haven't actually, is the point, but uh, yes. the, whole, the, whole con- <laughs> the whole country is obviously absolutely thrilled you got it, and they're all yeah. right behind you. So you, you can imagine the goodwill. So listen, the very best to look regardless of how it goes. Yeah, I'd really like to have another Mollywood. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Would, wouldn't every captain like that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, listen, again, big congratulations. Everyone's delighted for you. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. <laughs>
There we are, Padraig Carrington, captain for uh, 2020. Uh, doesn't see it as beyond his brief to be telling Rory McIlroy you should play the Irish Open. Mm. He'll be in his ear. It's interesting, we'll play a Paul McGinley to finish with. McGinley and Harrington definitely both said, let Rory get the Masters out of the way and then we'll see, his head will clear. So there's probably a sense that the Masters is going to dictate much of Rory's mood. And maybe if he wins the Masters, then he'll be feeling a bit more generous and a bit more inclined to give a bit more back to the European Tour or to the Irish Open. But at the moment, it's all about the Masters. You suspect he has told them that much. Let me just get the Masters out of the way, because as you'll hear, McGinley is saying something uh, very similar. But uh, hey, three Irishmen out of four making up the Ryder Cup is pretty good, Nathan. Yeah, it's sensational. Two of them went to the same school. Yeah, someone tweeted in to say that, yeah. Gosh, to Aina and Rathfarnham. It's quite remarkable mm. for two Ryder Cup captains to come from the same school. And it's not I like always it's think not, it's, pre- it's not like it's a golfing school. No, I, I always think it's incredible because I live just around the corner from there. That Oof. Paul McGinley, Paul Are your Carrington, kids enrolled? No, no, because all the golf courses now are way too expensive around there. Okay. It's an all-boys school. I don't want my kids to go to an all-boys school, I don't think. Did you go to an all-boys school? No. I did. Did you? You see. That's what I mean. Yeah, I don't. If you're an all-boy, mixed? No, mixed always. Yeah. I wonder what the listeners have suspected if they had to tweet in in advance. They've listened to us for oh, yeah. <laughs> several years now. Yeah. Would they have known? Do I, would, I, would, would they have guessed me predominantly as the all-boys school Probably. person? But I would say within what? a square mile in Rathfarnham. Why probably? How would you define How would you define people who've gone to single-sex schools? Just more comfortable with the opposite sex. I'm incredibly comfortable with the opposite sex. Well, he's, but in an awkward manner. <laughs> <laughs> right, move on. So, sorry. I was saying, within one square mile, so yeah. for anyone not listening who's not from Ireland, so Radfarnham is like a, well, it's, I suppose it's a large... And leafy large, suburbs. Of a leafy man. suburb uh, where, you know, obviously I have a... Mansion. A, a huge uh, four-bedroom semi-detached mansion. Uh, within one square mile grew up Potter Carrington, Paul McGinley and Peter Laurie. That's a Malcolm Gladwell story right Ooh, there, isn't it? certainly is. Yeah. I should go and do it. You wouldn't think the area would lend itself to golf. There are several golf... It's just on the, f- on the foot of the Dublin Mountains. Yeah, but I mean, so there's like, many golf courses as you move up, including There are lots, of, there are lots of golf courses in lots of parts of Ireland. There and, is. And the world. That's why I'm wondering, what was it about that specific area that... What's your theory? You live I, there. I, I, I can't figure it out if I could. I'm right. just getting really, my kids to really bringing the sort it out. Really bringing the listeners some real quality there. Oh, I just brought them mm. a little bit of info. So anyway, two from that same school, but mm. three Irishmen are from the island of Ireland uh, out of the last four. I know, look, look, I know not the whole of Europe plays uh, golf, but I was even making the point on the show the other night, Fionn, that you know, we, we can take this for granted. And a few people were texting in saying, well, so what? You know, how many countries play golf? But actually, uh, once Roy McIlroy and Graham McDowell served their uh, captaincies, we could be waiting a very, 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 very long time for the next Irish captain. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the remarkable element of it is that we're such, you know, it doesn't matter. Like in population terms, we're still a quite a small country. So that we've, we've uh, overproduced, uh, although mind you, the Scots, in fairness. Well, it's the home <laughs> of golf. It's the home of golf. Yes. How well, many even in modern cap- times. How many captains have they had? Monty? Sam Torrance? Uh, Sam Torrance, Monty. Well, look, at if you, I think if you go back through the, what is it, the last 10 European major winners, two of them are Scots. And they're the only two not to have captained the European Ryder Cup team. I think Paul Laurie can count himself a bit. Paul Laurie and Sandy Lyle. Yeah, Sandy was screwed politically. Dermot Lee's got a piece of it. Paul Laurie, I'd say, has been screwed slightly as well. Yeah. Um, so Harrington, anyway, 
he was the unanimous choice. It was very interesting in his interview that he gave us the insight about how the whole thing was carved up. Thomas Bjorn says to him and Lee Westwood, I don't want you two squabbling. Decide how it's going to be. They decided. And then Harrington seems he sat down with, uh, he says, Lee Westwood. And they carved it up. So really, uh, between Bjorn, Harrington and Westwood, it seems, they just decided the order. And that's kind yeah. of how these things were, are, are done. So wasn't it the worst kept secret in uh, yeah. in golf was the fact that Harrington was was earmarked to be a future Ryder Cup captain. Um, and we, I know mean, we now already know Lee Westwood's the next one. And yeah. you can understand why, I would say, while it came from Bjorn and maybe from Clark before him, that the European Tour wanted this. Because while the drama is great for us of Darren Clark and Paul McGinley and suddenly Monty emerging from nowhere on the final day yeah. for a decision, actually... They want this as calm and well, yeah. The, mid- ah, yeah. the, the, yeah. the, the 2014 process was tawdry. Oh, uh, it was awful. Know, it was, it was, and then, and it's funny because it's, you're right. Three golfers from the Ireland, island of Ireland, but three very, very different golfers. So McGinley, who was even by his own terms, the limited in terms of ability, but very good administrator, very good thinker, someone who understands the mechanics of how the golfing world works very well. Uh, Darren Clark, who was a natural talent, maybe not the greatest people person in the world, but, you know, clearly a brilliant talent. And Harrington, who has, you know, a lot from column A and a lot from column B, like, you know, so he's kind of like the the hybrid version of of the other two, isn't he? He's like a smart guy, obviously talented, not the genius that Clark might have been, but, you know, with three majors under his belt, he's like... Genius? What genius? Um, it's going to be great for yeah. us because I must say, I, I, I re, you know, you're, you're so much more into it when it was McGinley and Clark versus Thomas Bjorn. I mean, I cared and everything, but like Harrington yeah. will also desperately want him to do well. It's going to be fascinating to see how he approaches the whole thing. I thought it was quite I, refreshing what, that he admitted there'll be months where he doesn't do very much. You're not, I, yeah. I guess, say, someone email him going, you're not meant to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but equally, and then it was interesting because the, my takeaway from that interview that he did was, I was genuinely surprised that he said he was, he found it daunting or scary or like, I was like, and then the cynic in me went, yeah, he has to say that, you know, he has to display a certain amount of humility and, and show, oh, you know, I'm just honored. Like, A, he's known about it for quite a while. Mm. But B, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crowning glory. Though. Like, I really, I know some people are saying, oh, the legacy thing, it's not going to affect his legacy. And if, like, of course it, it he won't. He says that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, of course it won't. But it also will in a way. Like, it's a real nah, crowning glory. Mm. If it, Well, it's made McGinley's career, and I appreciate they had different playing careers. But it's yeah. a real crowning glory for Montgomery. It would be fantastic for Harrington to say, three-time major winner, winning Ryder Cup captain in the States. That would be a huge feather in his cap. You can, in you, Europe. You can you can bet that no Harrington would be in in the states. No uh, no 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 sorry. The, it, this would this would add a feather to his legacy in Europe. The Americans couldn't care less. Uh, they'll know. They, they'll they'll know that he's won. I, I I actually well put it this way then. When I think Nick Faldo, and I was you know I was I was a bit more um, fair given that Harrington was on the line. But when I think Nick Faldo, honestly the first thing I think of is what a shit show Valhalla was. And then I'm like. Yeah, and the amazing six majors as well, and the TV career. But honestly, Valhalla has tainted Faldo's legacy for me. That's interesting, because maybe... Actually, that's a very interesting observation that I hadn't really considered, and it could be to do with the fact that you're younger. Yeah, I made the point. I I said it's of an age to Harrington. mm, I didn't see him. I mean, I remember 96, but I didn't see him win at Muirfield. See, for for me, Faldo's shit show at Valhalla is irrelevant in as much as that it speaks to the kind of antisocial persona that he had always displayed anyway. So, but, but it was that, it was that sense 
he this is a six time major winner who made enormous sacrifices in social terms to be that winner. You know, that this is a guy who didn't play along with Sam Torrance and all those boys, mm. like who in that kind of world that 80s, early 90s world of, you know, the golfing boyos. No, I know, I know. I know look, I know all that. I get that. But so, I'm, I'm, so I'm, talking, is, I'm talking about, you know, not knowing what country Graham McDowell was from. I'm talking about the stupid potato gag over Harrington at the opening ceremony. Like a, yeah. a, just an absolute mess. Like being photographed with the teams written on pieces of paper in what advance and trying, to, and trying to pretend it was the lunch menu. Just what, what a massive mess he made of the whole thing. I'm do not, you think... I'm not saying... Nick Faldo's not getting in the Hall of Fame or anything. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah. saying, I'm just saying, it's, it is a big deal. And it's one of the things when Faldo retires, when Harrington retires, when anyone finishes up, it is one of the few things you'll be able to pinpoint and remember how sure. he did. Sure, I don't disagree. However, let me ask you this. Do you think Tom Watson's legacy is tainted really because yeah. of what happened? Yeah, I think it is. Mm. I think it is. I think yeah. there are questions now about Tom Watson as a man of his character that weren't there before. Mm. Tom Watson was seen rightly as the genius golfer, the greatest Lynx player there's ever been and a gentleman of the game. Even though I think those probably within the game would have always questioned that. Yeah. Yeah, that he was, yeah, yeah. you know, he was a hard He's bastard. a hard man, yeah. That he was, he was a tough, tough man but had this exterior of just being this gentle soul mm. at, that worked brilliantly. Whereas actually... Suddenly, a lot of people looked at him, and a lot like I, I still feel a lot of sympathy for Tom Watson. I think Mickelson was totally in the wrong with what he did. Yeah. But I think for most people, it raised the question of, oh, wait a second, Tom Watson, and he just, it, it just made him made him this old man, mm. and that's the. La- I think you're right. Like for a lot of people, and you need to be you need to be in your fifties at this stage. I would say at least, if not older, yeah. to remember Tom Watson in his pomp. Probably in your sixties to remember Tom Watson in his pomp. Yeah. That what you remember is I'm missing the pulse at Turnberry. And oh. and what Phil Mickelson said, I I kind of fall somewhere in between on Harrington because he has said even in interviews with us about you know my legacy is secure and no matter what I ever do, yeah. my three majors will always stand the test of time. I think the vast majority of Ryder Cup captains get away with it, that they move yeah. on with their career. You have the extremes of McGinley, who this has done absolute wonders for, who in so many ways worked at. Like he had a career that a lot of European tour golfers had. He had a very successful career, yeah. but worked his way into a position that he was able to get the Ryder Cup captaincy because of his personality, because of his work rate. And then he did the job so well that he's still, I would imagine, getting the benefits out of it. Yeah. And people look at McGinley in a different way than they did before the Ryder Cup. On the counter of that, you have Faldo, who I would agree, maybe it's an age thing. But Faldo sort of just reinforced that he was felt like he came across a bit of an asshole mm. and that that was reflected in the and reflected in the dressing room mm. but the vast majority just get through it and you would expect that Harrington would just get through it without yeah, I think probably fair yeah I, I think I think yeah I think I think that's actually yeah. a good point I, I would agree I think I think it's interesting. so McG- like McGinley McGinley's legacy is assured because he is the first in modern times the captain who brings a kind of methodical analysis to the art of captaincy. Whereas, you know, in the past, they kind of just showed up, picked their players and went to Harrington. There's no danger at all. Win or lose. There is absolutely no danger that Harrington is going to alienate or, or, or by virtue of indifference. There's no way he's going to do that. So well, what do you like, mean by virtue a, of indifference? Because you get the feeling that Faldo, like, oh, he didn't that, take it seriously. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Harrington is going to take it seriously. So win or lose, no matter what, like that kind of, like, I, I have to be quite circumspect here, but kind of Harrington's idiosyncrasies are going to be given full flourish here. So all of the little kind of quirky little things that Harrington thinks about golf and, and, and tries to apply to his own game, he's going to apply a version of that to the team setup, you know, so, so, so no idea will be too crazy. No idea will be too weird. You know, like we're in for an interesting time, particularly when it comes down to the actual business of, of sorting out the team. So there's no doubt that Harrington's going to bring his peculiar brand of genius to the captaincy. But I, my argument, sorry, my original point is, is that win or lose, Harrington's legacy is fine. Like, you know, there's nobody's going to go, oh, Harrington was a rubbish captain. Because the European team, if they don't do well, it won't be because of Harrington, Harrington's captaincy. That's the point I was trying to make. I think you're probably right. But I, I think what will be fascinating about the next couple of years is and are the idiosyncrasies and how, how much of that he lets into it. Even last night he was saying that he's going to have to be a bit more thoughtful. Probably can't be quite as honest. He was, you know, you make jokes oh, yeah, and then actually that, they're written down. And like they're the potential landmines that are there over the next couple of years. You make a smart-ass remark about Sergio. Ha! Think I'm picking him? No chance. Mm. And suddenly, this is this huge story of, well, he's got a preconceived idea. He's not going to pick Sergio because of something that happened a decade ago. It feels like something small, but in golf and in the Ryder Cup, everybody's looking for anything. Yeah. Any little grain of yes. controversy at all. And that's the only real thing you would look at, potential downside for Harrington. And also, there's a massive downside for us is that you don't want him to be just another bland no. captain. Yeah. You, want, he's had, he's you, want, had, you want to see the personality. You want a little bit of honesty. He's had good practice already with the comments he's made about McElroy, though. You know, Like when he goes, I know there's words there, but the actions are nowhere near match-up. He's as European as they come, to which my, credi- my credibility or my credulity stretches already. Yes, he's moved to the States. His family's there. He wants to win the Masters, and those words are coming out, but his actions are no, not that way at all. His actions are so European. Eh, they're not really that European, but, you know, mm. I take his point. You know, he's already has to fight. He's, he's had to fight a diplomatic fire of sorts. Yeah, the McElroy with... thing is very tricky for him, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and... out of his I, hands I think is the other yeah. problem. Like, I know he's... He, it, it seems though he's got a good relationship with McElroy. I think McElroy has a good bit of respect for him, but we saw in that interview with Paul Kimmage last year that they don't spend... A no. huge amount of time yeah. together. They're obviously different generations, anyways. But also, there's a European tour side of this that Keith Pelly was in Belfast in the last month or so to meet Rory and to try and attract him back. And then Rory goes to Hawaii and makes these quite injury comments about the European tour, the European tour being a stepping stone. They, like they, you don't want to get caught in the crossfire yeah. of the European tour decide we're going to make. I don't think they will, yeah. but we're going to make an example of McElroy here. We're not going to stand for this. If he's not going to play, he's not going to. If he's not going to play in Europe. He's not going to play in the team. Well, Harrington was adamant yeah. in Wentworth that he will be on the team. Mm. You know, but it'll well, be on it, the team. I think it is. It Sorry, is. Go on. It is tricky. Like there probably is an argument that McElroy is disrespecting the tour so badly here that there should be a consequence for him. He, which it, and the consequence is that he won't be. He won't be given the captaincy. To which he goes, I couldn't care less. He will be given the captaincy though, just for commercial reasons alone. Absolutely. Well, yeah. here in twenty years' time, how many people at the head of the European Tour now will be there by the time it comes around to McIlroy's no. captaincy? It, but it, I, 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 sorry, I was just going to say, like the comments last week were, I don't know, just felt unnecessary. You know the way you know he, the he's way, telling the truth. You know, but, the way, you know the way everyone calls him. You know, says he's so smart. Like, but he he seemed to genuinely then regret things he says like the Olympic stuff yeah. horrified him 
So, like, he does strike me as very smart. And okay, look, it's fantastic. He's honest, but. Even as he said the stuff about the European Tour, I was thinking, well, you're going to regret that. Mm. And do you not have the foresight or the, 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 the analytical thinking to know that you're going to regret saying that? Lee Westwood, I saw getting into, I'm not going to say it was a Twitter spat, but was having a back and forth with somebody online about this, saying, well, you know, when you're in this position and people are throwing questions at you, you get annoyed and you get caught up and you yeah. start saying things that really you haven't thought through. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is McElroy's in this position all the time. He does these yeah. press conferences. He knows that everything he says is going to go worldwide. And when you say, I think he doubled down on it over a couple of interviews, that you know it's a stepping stone. Mm. It does lead into, well, now when he's back to playing Kronzer Sierra or when he's going to play, hopefully plays in La Hinch, of, you know, why are you here? Is, you know, do you care about this event? It's just a st- you know, you want to be in America. You're just coming here because you have to come here. What? But the other thing is, I think it was he's quite, not the only I, one. Like I, Justin Rose, he plays more in Europe than Justin Rose plays, but nobody ever questions Justin Rose no, because true. he never says anything. Do you know what struck me? I'm his teammate on the Ryder Cup and I play on the European Tour. You're the guy who's done brilliant, yeah. who has, who's barely played in America, who's worked his ass off, played Europe, 20 events in Europe on the European Tour, and you've got that last position. Yeah. He's, you're going to look at him and think, you just think I'm Blow you. second tier. Like it's just a little bit disrespectful to... Or do people think like that? Or are people thinking, well, now maybe I get a chance to... Well, Take probably. that stepping stone to get to the BGA okay. Tour. What he said was absolutely true. So I suppose ultimately McElroy can say, well, the truth is my defence. I just wonder, mm. does he feel great about saying it today? Mm. I wonder. No, I, 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 I would agree. I, I'll give you an interesting illustration into how I think about these things. Is So when the comments first came out, I thought, oh, Jesus, who cares? You know, he's telling the truth anyway. He's, yeah. he's saying what everybody knows is true, including yeah. every player in the European Tour, Keith Pelly, and everybody else. Yeah. And then I thought, there's no drama. I just listened to Nathan make that argument, and I just went, you know what, actually, Nathan's dead right. I'm, I know, Joe, you're making the same point. Like, you don't need to say it in explicit terms. Just do a Justin Rose. Just go about your business. Do your thing. There is another way of addressing the issue without necessarily like taking the pie and shoving it in the European tour's face. Like you don't actually have to pie them. Mm. You can just go, look, right now my focus, you know, you, there's ways of doing it. Like, you know, ways, there's lots yeah. of people. Yeah. But it's yeah, so actually, it keeps saying things. Oh, listen, <laughs> from, from, a, from a journalistic point of view, it's fantastic. And you, you just wish there were more like him. Um, but I, I just don't know if I go along with the line that is thrown out that, uh, well, he's just being honest. I mean, are we just honest about everything in our lives? Well, this is that I was, how the world works? I think no. as I know TBA MS they were saying, you know, you don't go around to people going, geez, your girlfriend's not very good looking, yeah. is she? No, exactly. You might think it, but come on, there's a certain she, etiquette she, in life. She strikes me as a stepping stone. <laughs> yeah. You just don't. Like, wow. Do, do, we, do we throw out every opinion we have on everything on Twitter? I certainly no. don't. No. Do we do it in real life? I certainly don't. Would I, like, would I, would I... Certain diplomacy in would just you, everyday life. Would you ever, if you uh, move to... Uh, Sky Sports as a commentator, would you be like, look, off the ball is just a stepping stone. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously I'm going to leave off the ball. You look at those guys there, you know, they'd all like to be here, but they just, they just don't have the talent. Yeah, would, like not in a million years would you do that in your right mind, no matter how many questions were being thrown at you, no matter what the pressures were. You just wouldn't. I know you're going to crack a gag now because you're, you're that predictable. <laughs> but actually, but when, you, when ask- you think about it, you wouldn't. And so I just wonder what McElroy, for all the talk of his, you know, well, it's so admirable he tells the truth. Well, okay, the, the other to, to, thing, to, to, to a point, and on certain issues, it's incredibly admirable. You know, there are certain issues you should speak out on. The behaviour of Augusta, uh, golf's role when it comes to women, 
all of these other issues that you, you, you really should speak out on, I'm not sure if bashing the European tour was admirable because it certainly wasn't necessary. Mm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also, it's worth pointing out here is, is that like, it's not as if there's been a big change in Rory McIlroy's uh, schedule. Like, Rory spent most of his time in America as it is. That's not why he's having rubbish times. The European tour is not at fault mm. for his bad, or, you know, I'm using air quotes, but his, his less than stellar play. Like, that's not, nothing to do with it. Mm. So, like, is this just, I don't know, like... Yeah, yeah it, uh, it, it did feel as... Uh, no, there's no point speculating. It did feel as though there was something else at play almost, that there was no need to say it, so why say it, mm. that something had pissed him off, mm. that he was just going to... Just going to go for it. I wonder if the meeting with Keith Pelly didn't go to his But that's a difficult meeting for both parties because... Well, Pelly would have had to not threaten is the wrong word, but he would have had to try, uh, let's say, and incentivise McElroy by saying, well, if you don't do X, Y and Z, this is going to happen. And I'm sure Rory's not used to that kind of talk. No. So does it mean he won't play the Irish Open? I think he will. I have no idea, but I just suspect that... Why not? The difference between playing the Irish Open and the Scottish Open is nothing. But, but here, here's, here's his predicament. He is on the record as saying when he's preparing for a major now, the four most important weeks of his year, he wants to play the week before and be off the week before that. Mm. So this year, that means the week before Port Rush, he plays the Scottish Open. The week before the Scottish Open is La Hinch. A very demanding week. Energy, his, dema- his but, demands I, Sorry, I hadn't thought of that. That's, yeah. a, that's a very good so point. Th- this, is, this is the issue for McElroy. He's not just saying to the Irish Open. Like, the Irish Open does not just sit beautifully in his schedule and he's ducking it. I have a bit of sympathy for him on the Irish Open, I must say. And I, I, do, yeah. like, I didn't like his stepping stone comments, but I do think he is right at this stage in his career to get very, very selfish. So if I'm McElroy and I'm sitting at home and I'm looking at this condensed schedule anyway, and the British Open is a tournament you can really have a crack at, then I'm thinking to myself, God, okay, I'm going to be three weeks away from Florida, potentially three weeks away from his wife. I don't know if she'll travel or not, but he's looking at Irish Open, which is a really busy week. You know, they all talk about it. Then you go on to the Scottish Open. What shape am I rocking up to Port Russian? Am I at my absolute best? Would I be better off doing week off, Scottish Open and Port Rush? So, look, I don't, look if he's sitting down and he's saying, I'm, I'm going to get selfish now, then I think he will sacrifice the Irish Open as difficult as that would be. The one uh, caveat I would throw in there if he wins the Masters, then the significance of the other majors goes down just a fraction of a percent and he can relax yes. a little bit. He's in, the, he's, in, he's in the World Hall of Fame guaranteed. He's achieved the Grand Slam and he will fly into La Hinch with his green jacket on. Yeah, Absolutely. yes and no. I, I, I was actually wondering if the opposite would be true. If he goes to the... Ma- so the, the Open's the last major this year. And, and what... Like, Jesus, I was just looking That's at That's bizarre, it is it? it? It's bizarre. But also, I was like, we can talk about 2019... But like it's a hell of a finale. Portrush following Pebble Beach, yeah. Beth Page Black, and Augusta. See, Holy now, shit! Like he's going to be tired. Suddenly, the prospect of three weeks then is a lot. Of three weeks in a row. Yeah. I don't think he, if he plays the Irish Open, he doesn't play the Scottish Open. So then he's going again. So he prefers to prepare. So, but if he doesn't win the Masters, and he, if he doesn't win any of the other majors, and he's played the week before all of them, by the time it comes to the yeah. Irish Open, yeah. he might be thinking the opposite. Yeah. I, I still just think that it, you've done so much for the Irish Open. The personal relationship with McGinley, you just turn up. Turn up this year. I suppose he might look at it and go, well, if I turn up this year, Darren Clark is probably hosting it next year and I'll have to do... Be Harrington after that. Yeah, and I'll, I'm constantly going to have to turn up for this, but I would still be relatively hopeful that he'll be there. Possibly. there, there one, one thing I was thinking about as well was, 
is that, and you're absolutely right, Joe, his meeting with Keith Pelly mightn't have gone as well as Rory would have liked or expected. But Keith Pelly is, if anything, an ambitious person who is not knowing for just kind of leaving things as is. So, you know, this is a guy who introduced an ambitious expansion of the European tour schedule to turn. So let's let's cast our eyes five years into the future, okay? Will the European tour exist? I don't think so. I think the European tour will have folded into a newly branded global tour that will feature some European, you know, existing European tour events, but will no longer be the European tour as we know it. I think that the future of this certainly here is that you might have two competing tours. You have a world tour and the, and the PGA. That's, I would not be surprised at all if, if that's not the, 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 the timeline or the direction that Pelly and the European tour guys are looking at. Yeah, it's entirely possible. So, um, look, we're probably speculating at this stage. We'll see how it all plays out. He's definitely oh, yeah. at Riviera, and um, he's going to add another tournament, it seems. And it, so much of his year is going to come down to four days in Georgia. Uh, I think we are pretty much done. What we're going to do is we're going to say goodbye, and we're going to tag on at the end the Paul McGinley interview from Tuesday, which was about Padre Carrington as well. So if you've heard that already, feel free to hit stop now. If you fancy a bit of McGinley in your life, then keep on listening. If you want, Nice one. Thanks for joining us again. The first part Thanks, of 2019. Guys. Happy and, New Year to you uh, both. Nathan Murphy, well, I'll see you outside when we're sitting right beside <sighs> each other. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in 30 seconds. Wow, I couldn't be hey, more excited. On. Are we going to have banter? That would be the hope. <laughs> wow. That would be the hope, I think. Bit of banter. Does this mean if your headaches leave, I have like some, brought some sort of light into your life? Well, the next test then would be for you to change seats. So, so then I can <laughs> really, <laughs> if really I, enjoy myself. If I go and you can totally relax, fine. Um, I'm excited. I'm pumped about this. Uh, right. Wow. Fionn, goodbye. Nathan Murphy, I'll see, see you very soon. And uh, I guess we'll be back for the pod next week, hopefully. Good luck. <laughs>
um, in the right place at the right time, in the right stage in our careers, um, with the right kind of status among our peers to be voted in. Um, I'm a great believer, the best man for the job, and there's no doubt that Cardiff is the best man for the job at this moment in time. And the great captain, I'm sure, um, you know, that's his that's his goal. That's what he wants to be, is, is go out and, and put a, a cherry on top of what's been an incredible career with uh, with a, a win as a Ryder Cup captain, particularly, as he said there in his press conference, away from home. I mm. mean, it's, it's obviously a lot more difficult. It seems nobody was in any doubt that he was the man at the right time and in the right place. It's uh, as close to unanimous a choice as we've ever had, really. I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. It, it, was, a, it was pretty much a home run. Um, when Lee saw that uh, Podic was keen, he, he kind of, <laughs> he quickly removed himself and said, look, I'm happy to wait behind Podic. And it's a good time in Podic's career. You know, we all know how much he loves golf and we all know that he's still very much a player. And uh, also the fact that when he gets to 50, he's got that championship tour in America. And there's no doubt he's going to hit that running and is just as motivated now to play well doing that. So this fits in between that period of time mm. where maybe he's not as competitive on the main tours um, as obviously he was 10 years ago and, and reaching 50. So it's a it's a good moment in Potter's career to be taking on uh, such a big role. I don't know that you take much notice of the language that he was using in his press conference today because when he talks about his own game individually, he is often so confident, you know, whereas today there were words like, uh, cert- you know, he talked about a certain amount of trepidation and, and said, I hope I can add something and, you know, talked about it being quite daunting in many ways. Uh, none of that is surprising. It's a huge role to take on. I'm, I'm sure you felt the same things, you know, that you are as an individual dwarfed by the scale of the event sometimes. It is a scary thing that you, that you embark on. Uh, to, a, to a bit of an extent, yes, Joe, I'd agree with that. But but the biggest problem he's got taken on is the expectation. Mm. Um, having won, having this hugely dominant period of success that Europe are having. Um, and he's, you know, in a position now where he has to try and continue it. Uh, and that's the problem. I mean, that was the, that was a big weight that I had my shoulders more than anything else was we'd won seven of the previous nine and I was going in as a home captain, you know, with a lot of uh, mm. pressure on my shoulders. Now, fortunately, I was I was captaining against Tom Watson and I was able to dissipate a lot of that and throw throw the pressure over his way. Um, but Pauly could figure a way around all of these things and the fact that he's playing away from home um, uh, I think is uh, is certainly going to benefit him and I think it's a role he's really going to relish. I think Harrington in his whole career, even when he was winning those major championships, he was constantly pitching himself as the underdog whether it would be through an injury that week or, you know, being tired or whatever. He was constantly reveling in that role of being an underdog and he's certainly going to be up against the going away from home and will relish that role as a consequence. So, I mean, we saw it, no, it, it was, it was as, as evident maybe as it's ever been in the last uh, two Ryder Cups uh, in Paris, just gone in particular. The home captain has such a huge advantage in that they can shape the course to suit their own team. So as the away captain... Harrington will effectively have no say in the course. Is that right in Whistling Straits? Yeah, that's right in Whistling Straits. But it's a, it's an, if you could pick, honestly, I mean, I've been in America a lot. If I could pick one course in the whole of America that would uh, suit European team most, it would be Whistling Straits. It's on the banks of uh, it's on it's on the banks of Lake Michigan. It's got the feel of a Lynx golf course, a little bit like Kings Barn. Anybody who's ever been up around there, without the weather, with good weather, yeah. um, it's always windy. Um, yeah, there's a bit of room off the tee, but there's elevation changes. There's a lot of movement on the greens. So if you look through the history of Whistling Straits, I mean, I played well there myself, two shots behind when BJ Singh won the PGA Championship in '04. Uh, Martin Keimer has won there. I think mm. Rory might have been third when Martin Keimer won. You know, Europeans have played well on that golf course. So 
um, I, I think we're, we're fortunate, and, and, and Partick will, will be thrilled that it is going to be on, on that golf course. Right, OK. And is, is it so linksy that the greens will be slightly slower on the stint metre? Uh, not particularly, but I, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, all of our players play in America now, and they're used to the fast greens. Um, that certainly doesn't um, put us on the back foot the way that the tight fairways put the Americans in the back foot in Paris. Okay, so if, if so much of the home captain, I mean, and you, you'd know this as well from 2014, if so much of the home captain's um, time might be dedicated to trying to, to set up the course perfectly for a given team in a given year, so if, if Harrington doesn't have to worry about any of that, what will be the big things that he'll be looking after over the 18 months as the away captain? Well, um, what will be the big things? I mean, obviously getting his team in place, Joe, is, is the most important thing. You know, we are... You're as good as your team. Um, you know, Thomas, uh, Thomas changed in the qualification this year to make 50% extra points available in the last three months proved the master stroke because it got everybody in form. Mm. Every single player was in some kind of form going into that Ryder Cup, except Sergio. Um, and that's why he was a bit of a controversial pick when he was made. Having said that, he went out and, and then finished in, in the top 10 and I think fifth or sixth in Portugal the week before. Um, and went on to have a great Ryder Cup. So getting a team in form is key, and that's what he'd be looking for. Um, part of being the analytical type that he is will take a lot of what's worked. Certainly, um, when we play, Darren's team and Hazel team, um, I think it's a common consensus among everybody. We didn't have our best 12 players on the pitch. Uh, we had a, a number of rookies on the team, which is okay, but a lot of them were out of form and are qualified early in the qualification period. That's why Thomas... Um, uh, tweak the qualification to give extra points for the last three months to get more guys in form. So if I couldn't make the team, I mean, I can speak from experience this myself, but in the K-Club, I'd made the team way in advance, mm. probably six months in advance. By the time the K-Club came around, I was off form. And it's a tough place to go when you're going into a Ryder Cup and you're not quite on form, but you've already qualified. So having team in form is important. I'm sure he'll, he'll replicate in some ways the qualification uh, for the team so that he does get a team very much in form. And I think where we are in Europe at the moment, the quality of players that we have, um, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be in great shape. In my view, this is the best ever Ryder Cup team we put out in Paris, and I think there's no reason to think we won't even have a better team in two years' time. So there's a lot of things lining up for him um, that he'll be, he'll be um, thrilled about, but it is tough, and um, it's, there's no doubt playing away from home is even tougher than it is playing at home. But I mean, he's ready for the job. There's no question about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he talked about a range of things today. He... I really like the way, I mean, he certainly was very complimentary of you and talked about how you would put more in the two years of preparation into the Ryder Cup than any other captain has ever done in history. And you've, uh, you've almost changed the role in that sense. He talked about Thomas Bjorn put a lot of emphasis on the vice captains doing a lot of the groundwork and coming up, you know, going through the, the stats and coming up with all, you know, all the information which made it easy for Thomas Bjorn to make quick decisions throughout the week. He talked about, you know, Sam Torrance, very emotional, and, and that was important in its own way. And actually, if anyone, he likened himself more to Bernhard Langer, more the school teacher type. He mm. said, I'm not going to be the, the, the fuzzy, warm, huggy captain type. Yeah, I'm, I'd agree with that. That's who I would pitch him up as. Um, I tell you what, if he does as well as Bernard Langer, winning by a record <laughs> yeah. score away from home in Detroit like he did, he'd be thrilled. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's the kind of player he's been. You know, that dogged competitor... Um, that's the kind of player he will be, and that's what he'll be as a vice captain. You know, he, he won't change. He'll be, a, he'll be dogged. He'll be competitive. He'll surround himself with good people. Um, you know, as I've pointed out many times, the role of the vice captains is underrated. Um, in a lot of the media, it's underrated. And, you know, I see them as cart drivers and all of these, this kind of nonsense. Now, to me, they're very, very important. And Podic, for one, played a huge role uh, on the shoulder of Victor de Buisson, um, 
in 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 uh, in Glen Eagles when I was captain, yeah. and, and there's no doubt that Victor's good play was was uh, there's a big contribution of that went to the role the party played in following those games and and being around them and and being that kind of a a big brother to him on the golf course. And so you know the reason why they're so important is is um it, there's numerous reasons, but the main one is the fact that you know you, you take Joe Smith watching a rookie match for example. Um, you know, he's sitting there, you're all watching the whole game unfold in one arena, all in front of you. You've got your coaches around you, and you're all watching the one arena, whereas in the Ryder Cup, of course, first two days, there's four matches been on concurrently, and the captain can't be everywhere, and that's why having one dedicated um, vice-captain to each game, and then getting him to critique that game, uh, and, and really trusting his reading of the game in order to help you make a decision for what's going on in the afternoon is critical, and, and that's the reason why... Vice captains, in my opinion, are, are hugely important and a very important dynamic in, in winning Ryder Cups. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I guess, like any captain or like any um, coach or manager or captain, you're trying to foresee potential pitfalls. You'll know this stuff inside out. The Rory McIlroy situation on the European Tour is uh, somewhat up in the air. He's been fairly clear in his comments that it seems like he's only going to play two European events. Uh, they're believed to be, we don't have confirmation, believed to be the Omega European Masters, which should be to do with the sponsor, and the Scottish Open the week before Port Rush. McElroy's European status, therefore, is that an issue for Harrington? Is he going to be there in Whistling Straits, or is, is that all fine? Um, uh, it'll be all fine from what Rory has said because he, if he does fall out of membership this year in the European Tour, he said it's a non-Ryder Cup year and he's not too perturbed about it and, okay. and will join again next year. So okay. um, he will miss the end of qualifying, so he won't gather any points in September, October, November, December if he doesn't take up membership. Um, but, you know, being Rory McIlroy, if he's close to the team and showing some form and just misses out, and, and uh, there's no doubt he'll obviously be a pick. So um, okay. I, I'm sure Farley will cross that bridge and communicate with Rory and and, um, you know, be very much honest. You know, you don't want to leave a player, the quality of Rory McIlroy, out of the Ryder Cup team. That's one thing for sure. I presume McIlroy's comments won't have gone down well at uh, Wentworth when he talked about the European Tour. And, I mean, look, sometimes he's just too honest. It's, it's great when you're a journalist, I suppose. But when he's, he's saying things like, um, you know, you can talk all you want about the bigger events in Europe. But you go to America, you play for more money, more ranking points. Uh, the European Tour is a, sep- is a stepping stone. It, that's the truth. That's the way it is. It's tough. I still want to support the European Tour, but um, it's not as though I'm just starting out and jumping ship. I've done my time. I've done everything I feel like I need to do to say, OK, I'm going to make my own decisions and do what I want. Yeah, They're not going to love him describing the European Tour as a stepping stone. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, um, you know, <laughs> what can you do? I mean, mm-hmm. it, uh, the professional golf game is you make your own decisions. You play what you want to do. A lot of the 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 uh, leverage is is on the side of the players, not with on the side of the tours. And um, you know what what he's proposing to do um, is no different than what Nick Fallow did in his career, what Bernard Langer did in his career. Um, you know, Bernard's married to a to an American girl as well, and has been living in America for you know a couple of decades now at this stage, and still consistently lives there. Um, and it's it's no different. Um, it's just the part has made this, or sorry, uh, Rory has made it uh, uh, very public. Uh, but it's. It's no different in, in terms of uh, what's happened to our staff players over the years. There's no doubt America is the place to, to, place to go. As if you were a top player, why wouldn't you want to play for all those that money and, and, and play for all those world-ranking points and, and those titles that are... It's a lot easier to play in the PGA Tour. Mm. Uh, but we hope that Rory, you know, still remembers home and, and you know, does come home. And, and, you know, he's got a huge fan base here. and It's where he's from. And, and we hope that, you know, as the season goes on... Um, 
we just see how it all evolves. And certainly we're, we're keeping a, a little eye open on that. Hopefully the Irish Open is going to turn up there, but it's not going to be the case. Hopefully he'll reconsider and, 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 and look at the end of the season, which is the point that I was making in Dubai, which is, um, you know, I can understand them um, coming into the majors and coming into the masters and the majors are kind of spread out from the first four months of the year, sorry, April, May, June and July this year. I can understand them focusing in America and not wanting to do the traveling and leading into the masses, trying something different. I get all that. Yeah. Um, but the FedEx finishes the third week in August, um, you know, and, and hopefully then when the FedEx is over and, and then they do this wraparound season and they start traveling to Japan and China and Mexico and all of these foreign places that, you know, we'll have Wentworth on around that time. We'll have Dubai where he's played very well in the past, uh, Turkey, South Africa where he's played well, and maybe hopefully he'll reconsider and, and decide to go and play those tournaments. But uh, as I say, the ball's very much in Rory's court, and he'll make his own decisions. And, and that's what the top players have always historically done. Yeah, I guess it's a selfish game. Ultimately, you have to look after yourself. Uh, I mean, he's ta- the, re- the issue with the Irish Open, it seems, is that he's talked about preferring to play the week before the majors. And in this year's schedule, that would be the Scottish Open with Portrush to follow. The Irish Open is the week before the Scottish Open. Have you spoken to him about Lynch? Obviously, you're hosting this year and everybody's looking forward to Lynch. It's going to be fantastic. Have you been in touch with him? Has he given you any indication either way, Paul? No, no indication. Um, it's all up in the air, you know, as much as what I've seen in the media. And um, But we'll monitor the situation. The door's always open for him. Um, I understand um, at this moment in time, more than anything, his focus should be on the Masters. It should be preparing for the Masters and trying to complete the Grand Slam, which only five or six people in the history of the game have done. Mm. It's a huge goal if he were to achieve it. It would reflect really well on Europe, really well on the, on the European Tour, really well on Ireland, really well on Rory, really well on everybody. I mean, it would separate him away from all of the, you know, the so-called top players in the world at the moment, uh, top of the world rankings, if he were to go and complete a Grand Slam. So he's right to be focused on that at this moment in time. And, you know, the Irish Open will come in time. And when the Masters is done and, and he kind of gets into the season, you know, he'll, 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 he'll review his season, review his schedule. And, um, you know, at that, that'll be the time to uh, start talking to him about... Uh, about about the Irish Open and finding if it's still not going to be on a radar or not, which will be after the Masters. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, did you see much of him in Hawaii over the weekend? I did. I did. I watched a bit of him. Um, I watched quite a bit of him, actually, and I was hugely impressed the way he played. Um, um, I thought his balance, his swing, his power, his control of the ball, um, his wedge play, all of the things uh, looked really, really on. Um, his putting looked decent, um, and I know he got overrun on the, on the last day. I think if it had been a bit windier on the last day, it may well have suited him. Mm. It turned into a putting contest and, and, and a low scoring, which notoriously he's not particularly, that's not normally what he excels in. But uh, he looked to be in really good shape to me, I have to say. Um, right. He looked really in, in good shape, like a guy who's been working and training and practicing over the wintertime. Okay. Listen, uh, appreciate your time as ever. Thanks so much. All right, you're welcome. Starter kid right here.